I have uh, with me today Michael Ramston, and uh, I had the opportunity to meet Michael. What, when was that, Michael? Was it about four months ago? Yeah, that's right. Um, I was over in Portland, Oregon. Yeah, in January. It, it feels yeah. like almost years ago now, given everything that's happened. But that's right. <laughs> I know. And we uh, we had the opportunity to connect and had an amazing lunch together at Luce. And yeah, uh, really um, <laughs> but I just was so impressed with uh, just what you shared at the evangelism meeting that the Palau's organized and. I just been. I was bummed that I didn't get to connect with you when I was in Oxford uh, a few months ago with my son. Uh, but uh, yeah, I just wanted to have an opportunity. I thought you would be the perfect guy to kind of interview uh, around this season of life that we're in. And love to just begin hmm. by just having you share a little bit about who you are and what what you do. Uh, people probably know that you are now the president of RZIM Ministries, and uh, tragically, we just lost Ravi. Was yeah. it last week? Yeah. Um, I gotta say, yeah, tell us a little bit about yourself. It happened so quick; it really did. We we thought he was battling with just you know usual back issues he's battled with for decades. Uh, went in for an operation for that. It seemed to go well. All the signs were good. The, the doctor took a little sample of an area he thought there may be an infection. He was just worried about. Turned out um, to be sarcoma. But then, even at that mm. point, the prognosis was excellent. They were saying he would, you know, he that that. Chances were very good. And when they started the treatment at MD Anderson, you know, all the initial signs from their perspective were good. They thought it was responding. They thought the main tumor was shrinking. That's, you know, so really, when it came to that point when they realized that wasn't the case and he was going home, everything within the, the space of days just changed from, you know, we've got years together, maybe even and, you know, another decade to, oh, wow, we now got decade, days and hours. And, and that was, so we're, I think we're still in processing the shock of it. Um, mm -hmm. But Larry asked me to take over the presidency. Well, we started talking about it two years ago, and then we formalized it last year. And at the time, it felt premature. It really did. I think uh, Sarah Davis, who's now the CEO of my role too, we met with Ravi after he shared with the team that he thought there was the time to do this. And we pushed back saying, look, maybe this is too soon. Why don't we slow it up? Because he had so much energy. You know, and you see him mm. preaching in, I was with him in January um, in uh, Manila. You see him preaching in Manila. You see him preaching in Sri Lanka. You see him at Passion City. Uh, you look at him, you, you, you would have no idea what was going on. Uh, but the amazing- it's like Luis Plow. <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. And the amazing thing, the really amazing thing was even in the weakened state he was in, um, when I went to see him, I think I had the last conversation he was able to sustain. After that, he was able to say words or maybe just a short phrase. Um, you know, what poured out of him was the need for the gospel, the certainty of the hope that we have in Christ, the fact that the world needs to hear about the love of Christ and the light of Christ. You know, you know, not not even more now. I mean, it always needs it, but you know, there was an urgency to the hour. You know, mm -hmm. um, desire to see the ministry continue. You know, with its evangelistic passion and focused, and to remain focused on the cross and preaching Christ, uh, and that's just what poured oh, out of awesome. him. And so, you know, you, those last moments really tell you about something. And what poured out of him was, you know, his love for Jesus, his love for Scripture, um, his 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 love for the world and for them to hear the gospel, and and his love for family and and for their care. And so, you know, with yeah. his family, he was very often heavy eaten. You know, uh, he was asking questions about food <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and, and I think all of everything that had been poured in through all those years, in those final moments, what had been going in for so long is what actually came out.
and it was it right. was actually a beautiful thing to see, although obviously very, you know, painful as well at the loss. Mm-hmm. The first uh, when I I became a believer in 1999, and the first book that I read, well, the first book I read was C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity, but the second book I read was actually a book by Robbie called oh. Atheism: A Shattered Visage. Yeah. And, uh, um, and it was really, that was my introduction to him, but I, I began to read kind of everything that he released because I just wanted to understand this new thing that had just happened to me, <laughs> meeting Jesus. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, he was extremely, uh, formative for me in my early yeah. years as a believer. Yeah. So, yeah well, well, me too. Yeah. I, I became a Christian in 88 and two days later, uh, a guy gave me a bulk, a bag filled with audio cassettes and said, I think you'd really appreciate listening to these. And I did. And, um, you know, it was Ravi Zacharias. And I had nothing to benchmark it with. You know, I had a non-Christian background, raised largely, most of my the childhood that I remember in the Middle East. You know, so non-Christian culture, non-Christian background. Nothing really to, to measure it against. I very quickly figured out after I became a Christian that the few times I'd been to church, the people preaching didn't know Jesus. So it was just obvious to me as mm-hmm. I can think. And now I'm listening to someone on cassette and I'm thinking, this guy definitely knows him. I can tell from the way he's speaking. And um, I just thought it was normal. I, you know, I, I just thought, wow, you know, these guys who know Jesus, they know a lot. I better start studying. And I never tried studying before then. I was coasted through life. I didn't do very much. And having nothing to benchmark right. against, it was just... Uh, and then it came as a genuine surprise to me when I realized not all Christians are like that. Um, yeah, you know, that wasn't that wasn't normal. But you just accept the reality you're presented with, and the reality I was presented with was, you know, his, that's the Christian so preacher. Awesome. Uh, and of course, the internet <laughs> wasn't around then, so it wasn't like you could get on and search and find lots of other people. Um, right. I was living in Cyprus at that point. We'd moved from Saudi Arabia to Cyprus. You know, and, and these were the cassettes I had, and I and I was happy to listen to them over and over and over again. Mm. So when, when did you when did you start the um, Oxford uh, Fellowship for Apologetics? Oh yeah, back, back so that started. I mean, it went through a few embryonic forms, but roughly fifteen years ago. Um, okay, we got that up and running, and that was born out of a vision. So Ravi's desire was never to found an organization that would support him. He wanted a mm-hmm. movement that would be able to support you know, people all over the world, and that was always right. you know the vision from the beginning. And he, um, uh, so then the question came about, how do we raise up people to do this? You know, how do we actually train people to preach the gospel through a difficult questions of a culture, not around them? Because that's what it felt mm-hmm. like many people were trying to do, you know. Uh, and I even remember when I first started out speaking, even before I was with Ravi, when I was a university student, uh, I would hear people, there'll be a talk, you know, does truth matter? And basically, they'll talk like about a minute about that. And then they'll say, Look, don't, don't worry about that. Let me tell you about Jesus, because he's great. Um, mm-hmm. And it felt like, hey, you know, like a bait and switch. And I think the thing was, how do we train people where they feel they don't need to bait and switch? No, okay, this is tough. It's hard. But if that's where we are, let's speak there. And let's speak into that. Uh, and that's the connection point. That's where people are. So let's not pretend they're somewhere else. And so I think... The vision for that then very much came, you know, well, maybe we should take a role in doing that. Uh, and it's been amazing to see what those people have gone on to do. I mean, some are with the ministry, some are with other ministries. Some have gone into the business and professional world. But it was exciting just to, uh, just to see that center grow and flourish and multiply over time. 
Yeah. Is, is it going to be hard for you to, to leave Oxford? So you'll be moving with your family to Georgia yeah. in, in August. Oxford was a beautiful city that I walked around with, but, and, yeah. but I, I'm not going to lie. I think I preferred Manchester. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so here's an interesting thing. Here's a really, we, when Anne and I uh, landed here, we came out sooner because of Ravi's health than we were planning to. We were planning to move at the end of the summer. And when we, when we got here, um, we both had the same feeling. I said, when I didn't say that that moment, I said it a few days later, but I just said to Anne, you know, even though we don't own a house here yet, it felt like when we came off the plane, plane we'd arrived home. And mm. my wife, Anne, had had exactly the same experience at that exactly the same moment. And I think the only good place to be is where God wants you to be. And wherever he wants you to be, that, that should begin to feel like a home for you. And yeah. I think it was a huge, it was really significant in our lives at uh, that moment. We'll, we'll, we'll hang on to that. I think there will be some adjustments to make. You know, we're trying to figure out the U.S. tax system right now. Feels a little complicated. Uh, the <laughs> good, U.S. healthcare system feels even more health complicated. Um, there's a lot of things we're going to have to learn, um, as well as learning yeah. where we can buy marmite and things like that. But apart from that, we're really looking forward to, uh, to being over here. Um, and, and I'll be honest yeah. too. I, I, I even I remember after we met, I got back and I said to Juan, "Hey, I've met this guy, Josh. He's an evangelist. We, you know, uh, he's the kind of guy I just like to get to know and spend time with." And it's felt like for a while the Lord's been starting and developing relationships and friendships even before we moved and there's, there's something nice oh, about that's good. too you know yeah uh, that's awesome well we're glad to have you uh we can use voices like you uh, in the states it's a very as you know it's a, it's an interesting time for the church and yeah. uh, the coronavirus has brought a lot of that to to, yeah. to a head one of the things i would i just i love your um perspective especially being um, from the UK and, and then coming to the States now to take over a really powerful ministry. And we're so grateful that you're continuing uh, this ministry. And, and uh, I, I think that you're right. I, I think that Robbie never was interested in building a ministry around him. He was interested in the gospel going forth. And yeah. uh, that's what he was passionate about. And it's very clear. I, Fortunately, I never had the opportunity to meet him. I just seemed to know lots of people that knew him, <laughs> like Tony Simaristi. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <that's> right. <laughs> so, uh, um, but uh, but I was just curious. That, you know, it's been an interesting time as a pastor. You know, we're mm. a pa I'm a pastor of a large church in Portland, mm. and uh, and Portland being extremely progressive, almost more like a European yeah. city uh, as yeah. far as its its makeup. Uh, and I've just been watching as the coronavirus is being increasingly uh, kind of weaponized uh, uh, yeah. by politics on both the left and the right. And yeah. I feel like there's, there's an agenda on the left, like we need to keep everything as shut down as possible to prevent our president from being reelected. Then the other side is, this is all liberal agenda and we need to, <laughs> and we need to like, get evangelicals on our side so that we yeah. can make sure that we are. And I, I just, for me, it's a, it's a very complicated time. And then to, to top it off, you have the very real fears of, of an, of an illness that now is on the verge of claiming a hundred thousand lives in the States. And then the pressures that we're feeling as pastors, that there was a, I just put up a little thing on my Instagram today of it's like, it just says pastor in the middle. And then there's a series of circles around it. And it's like every voice, like, we should never have church again until there's a cure. And then the one person's like, it's all a conspiracy by the left. And then yeah. another one's yeah. like, I've yeah. lost two family members to the virus. And then some's like, 
I'm, I'm yeah. worried that my kids will get sick and, and yeah. I'm trying to balance this and I've, and I've, you know, I'll get emails from, you know, folks that have libertarian leanings for yeah. folks that are very progressive in their leanings. And it's yeah. having a church full of millennials, uh, it, you know, it's very like if I was to open up the church right now, we would be an anathema in our city yeah. that we're trying to reach yeah. and it would divide the church itself. Yeah. And so, yeah. man, it's been, it's been complicated. Yeah. And I just would love to get your input of like, what, how should uh, the church respond and, and, and connect that, if you will, for me, like to even the mandates in scripture, obviously Paul writes to a church that's under the rule of emperors like Nero and says we're to submit to authorities, but obviously Christians weren't willing to submit when they were being asked to worship false gods. And yeah. so, but they did seem to accept the consequences of not submitting. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, yeah. so give me well, some thoughts. Wow, <laughs> that's such a big question. And, and as you say, I mean, I don't know how much I can speak into all the specifics of the US situation, having been in lockdown in the UK until you know, re relatively recently. But you, you did pick up on a really key thing there about fear, because so much of what's happening in the world right now is driven by fear. Uh, and the one thing we do know for sure is the Lord hasn't given us a spirit of fear. So the question right. is, how do we process it? So I think we almost need to reframe the terms of the discussion. So in Leviticus 13, we're told, for example, if someone has an infectious disease, they should put themselves outside of the camp. They should wait for seven days. Someone should come and have a look at them if it's still there. You know, then they stay there for further 14 days and so on. So we see all of that pattern in Leviticus. But that's not driven by fear. That's driven by love. That's driven by out of hate because I, I care for you and you're my community and I'm living here and I love you. You know, I'm not putting myself in, is in isolation because of fear. I'm doing it out of concern and love for you. And that's mm -hmm. one of the things I feel we've lost this is how, what is the loving response in this thing? Not just simply the fearful, how do I protect myself response? What is the loving thing for the community I am in? That's, That's, I good. think, a more useful place to start. I think that the, the mm -hmm. second thing, too, is just on the scriptural side. And I remember sharing this um, a few weeks ago. Um, we've been doing like these short five-minute like talks. And I, I, I did a series of just, just, just as everything got shut down. Um, and one of the, the, the first ones I can think, and it just jumped out of me. I'd never seen it before in Romans 8, which is a passage I'm sure you've read many times. I <laughs> don't know how many times I've read it. But it asked that question. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then interestingly, it doesn't answer that question. It answers what will separate us from the love of Christ. Well, you know, danger or distress or peril or nakedness or so, you know, sword or so on. And, you know, it starts to list a series of what's. Now that's because sometimes there is a who behind those things. But the first two words in that list, who will separate us from the love of Christ, the very first word and the first two words, one of them carries the idea of being constrained. And the other one carries the idea right. of being hemmed in. Now, the idea of being constrained and hemmed in, those are two words that speak straight into where we are right now. And it's saying mm -hmm. even when we're constrained and hemmed in, hence why we translate that second word distress, you know, like cornering an animal, you know, it's doing it says you cornered it. So it's going to be in distress. Even the last word, sword, you know, death, is that can that separate us from the love of God? So at this point, as Christians, the one thing we shouldn't be fearful of and not be fearful of is death, but the challenge for us is as a church, as a society, this is the first time we've collectively faced the reality of our mortality. With the Western mm -hmm. world, for the longest time, and the developed world largely, hasn't been collectively faced with the issue that we're gonna die one day. We've been able to avoid right. and postpone it. And now it's staring us in the face, and we don't know what to think and how to react. 
Now, this, that should be sad for the church, more sad for the church than for the world, because there's a promise for eternal life. Uh, and we know that when right. you Christ, you move from death to life. When your heart stops beating, you just move from life to eternal life. You know, so we've lost Ravi, but we know where he's gone. He's not here. He's somewhere else, and we'll see him again. So in that sense, there's a comfort there. We still feel the pain of the separation. So this should also be a time when the church shouldn't be living in fear. It has no excuse because of the message of the cross, because of the resurrection. But that may mean that for the sake of the community we're in too, because this isn't a disease that you can show someone and say, have I still got it? It's harder than that. And so, you know, hence, hence the caution. But, I mean, I think there are other things too. Um, and I know some of this has got very politicized, and I think that's a shame. Just before I left the UK, I saw one of our country's leading statisticians speaking, and he was being interviewed on TV. He'd been misused, he felt, by some political figures with the stats he was pushing out. And as he was talking, I thought, you know what? Maybe we're missing something here, both as the world and as the church. One of the comments he made was he said, look, we keep saying we need to protect our young people. Then he said, an interview, a very famous interview on the BBC, how many people in England are under the age of 15? And the interviewer you know, didn't know. He said, 10 million. He said, how many people under the age of 15 have died from coronavirus? The point of the interview, this is maybe, what, a week, two weeks ago. He said, two people have died in that age bracket in the UK. Mm -hmm. He says, and I think both of them had underlying causes. He said, how many people under the age of 25? And the answer was, I think, 17 million. He said, how many have died from coronavirus? At that point, it was 36. He said, that is 36 out of 17 million. He said, it's not a statistically significant. He said, if there was one group in an age of anxiety that doesn't need to be worried about dying from the coronavirus is if you're under 25. Now, as you right. get older and older and older, those risks multiply up. You know, and as you add in underlying mm -hmm. medical conditions, as you lay in other things, you know, it, 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 the chances go up and up and up and up. But as I was listening to that, I was thinking, you know what? This really means we need to be doing everything in our power to look after the elderly and the vulnerable and the weak and the sick. And we're commanded to do that in scripture as well. But maybe mm -hmm. this is the time for young people to rise up and serve in a way they haven't done before. Because if you're a young person and you're not overweight and you don't have underlying health conditions, it seems at the moment, as far as we can tell, and again, assuming that you're not living with your grandparents or something like that, you may be able to serve right now. You may be able to go out and volunteer and help the community around you who can't get out mm -hmm. and about, drop off the chopping at their door, not because you can't pass on the coronavirus. We need to be careful about that. But because if you yourself were to contract it, the chance that it's going to result in death for you is very, very, very tiny. Yeah. And I, I mean, I don't know. I haven't been to your church. I've got a feeling there are quite a lot of young people um, who are connected uh, with you, you know, and in that area. And it's not to say we have some kind of divine immunity. We don't. No, nowhere in scripture are we told, hey, these things won't affect you. We're told if the, even if we were to die because of it, we know where we're going. Mm -hmm. So we have a hope there, well, even though we experience the loss here. But maybe we need to start thinking about this. And I think that the final thing I would say is I was really moved. I don't know if you saw it. The CNN pushed out a report. You, you have to forgive me. Ever since Ravi was diagnosed with the terminal cancer, it's felt like there's been like a time collapse in my life. You know, um, right. we've been here now for over two weeks. Uh, my wife and I, two and a half, three weeks, however long it is. It feels like a day. So, right. <laughs> so, uh, so you need <laughs> to extend this a little bit. So the interview I was talking about with the BBC, that would have been, gosh, well, now four weeks ago. But, um, uh, but there's, there is one final little aspect here, which I think is really um, helpful too for all of us, which is in a world that's looking for hope at a time of crisis and a place of security, 
uh, it's also got me thinking, how, how much do we talk about heaven anymore? That's been a, that's been an emphasis for me right now has been, I think that's exact. We've lost our eternal perspective. Yes. It's Ernst Becker's famous book in the seventies, the denial of death. Like we, yeah. like there's a, there is this idea that we're immortal. And I do think that that's, I, I'm so grateful for what you just shared because I think you're hitting on a lot of what is actually frustrating for me as a pastor when I see responses that are that are so self-focused like mm -hmm. I need to be in community right now like this is it's a government ploy it's like I'm like no people this is a time where we have to be patient and Brett McCracken actually just wrote a great piece for gospel coalition on how yeah. the church should respond and it was about that like having a spirit of patience uh, that this like this is a blip in in the map of eternity, <laughs> but it, it that is. eternal perspective is yeah. important. Yeah, and and I, I remember a year several years ago, I was speaking to a group of students uh, studying theology in in Oxford, and I asked them the question, "What happens at the end of the world?" And they talked about, "Well, there'll be a new heaven and a new earth." I said, "What else?" You know, "Well, there'll be judgment." Okay, what else? Well, there'll be a dead will be raised. What else? And we went on and on and on, and it took a while. I mean. It felt like five minutes, whether it was quite that long, but it, you know, I think it was almost five minutes. And I kept saying, what else, what else? And finally, one of them said, well, there'll be a banquet. I said, okay, what kind of banquet? And the answer was a wedding banquet. And I said, let me give you the following illustration. I said, imagine you're having coffee with somebody at that excellent place you took me for coffee when I was with you. you know, and you're just talking like we're talking now. And all of a sudden they freeze, they look at their watch and they go, wow, is it quarter past 12? And they're like, yeah. And they say, is it Saturday? And they go, yeah. And they go, I'm getting married today, I forgot. And they just run out of the coffee shop. Now, what would you make of that? I think a lot of us would be hoping the guy doesn't get there in time because you know, if he couldn't remember his wedding day, that makes sense because having coffee is more important. Probably shouldn't be getting married that day anyway. There are other issues to be dealt with at that point. But what does it tell us when we're asked about the end of the world, the last thing we think of as a church is our wedding day. The bride will return for his bridegroom and take us home to be with him. If we've forgotten that collectively as a church, that says something really significant. And some of us may right. like the homes we're living in now, but what kind of home do you think the father is preparing for the son when he welcomes his own bride into eternity? You know, why would we not want to be there? So we've lost this eternal perspective of longing. And uh, I've been reading a lot of the old hymns right now that have been really blessing me. My wife was putting me, you know, was sort of, she dug up her old mother's, uh, grandmother's hymn book, and we've been reading a lot of hymns and, uh, and it's amazing. I mean, they take a pattern from which we find in many Psalms. So many of the hymns, you know, when sorrows like sea billows roll, you know, and they come, when I feel completely overwhelmed, there's this reality of expression of sometimes of the difficulty of living in this world. But almost so many of them end, you know, and on that day, you know, when we finally gain entrance, you know, into eternal life, when we're finally united with Christ, when we're finally with him, you know, what a, what a, what's a something to long for and look forward to and and I kind of think, gosh, we don't really sing a lot like that anymore. And we don't talk a lot like that anymore. Maybe we should. Maybe we yeah. are getting really important at, a, at such a time as this. Um, mm -hmm. So I also think that, that, that there may be an outworking of this, not just in the sense of people asking questions about their lives who don't know Christ. I think even for the church, I think this is asking some questions of us. Yeah, we then have to think, how are we going to respond? Um, when do we need to change our perspective? Um, so, so I, I, but I do think the, the reason I'm optimistic is I think if as a church we figure out how to respond well, mm -hmm. what it means to respond, and what is the, how can we be driven by love and care for others rather than just fear for ourselves, 
And what does it mean yeah, to be responsible citizens, loving? That, that, that could be a moment that many people have been praying for where they've been saying, you know what? I wish there was a way for us to show the world how much we care for the people around us, the fact that mm -hmm. we love them. We want to find a way to help and to serve because so many people misunderstand the gospel and they see it in such a negative light. And actually, it really needs to be seen for what it is. Maybe this is a chance for the church to shine. I, I, I think that is so good. I, I, I've been finding that, you know, Door of Hope never was like a big technology focused. Like we've always, I, it's like a church filled with artists and people always say like, how did you get all the artists to come to your church? I'm like, by never talking about art. Because the world will always do it better. <laughs> so I'm like, if you want to not be cheesy, don't try to be hip. Like that's. <laughs> but it, but hey, hey, I'm doing better than you on that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It bit us though when this hit because we like we we're a church of 1500 and we've never even had a sound guy. We've never had <laughs> we've never had video. I'm like I had and I was sick. I think I had the virus the first wow. week, and wow. so I had to film all my own messages and do all my own editing and i'm like spending like eight hours a day trying to learn how to edit a sermon i'm like oh my gosh this is lord i don't want to do this this is not what i signed up for but i've been seeing like god's been showing me the way that he's blessing it like i had a neighbor walk across the street yesterday and her son is a skateboarder and he came to skate church like which is like this amazing skate park that kids that are non-believers will go and skateboard at so that they can it, but they have to hear a gospel message in order to skate it. And so I go and preach to these non-believing kids. Well, this kid heard me and he told his mom who lives across the street. And she just came up to me yesterday and said, I've been listening to all your sermons lately. I, we we kind of need something to hope in right now, don't we? And wow. I, as far as I know, I don't think she has any background. I've got, I started boxing actually with this, with a retired pro boxer from Wales and uh, that goes to Dwarf Hope, and he's got another trainer that's coming in, and he's he's not a believer. And I mean, just the opportunities right now to share the gospel yeah. with people that we never thought we would have the opportunity. And maybe we can't meet with them in person, but even like family members, this is the time to call people, especially our elderly family that don't know the Lord, like my dad. I mean, it's just this is the time to be talking <laughs> and sharing the love of Jesus and the confidence that we have in His yeah. ability to save yeah. and to and to renew. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. So, and, and I think strength we need. When you talk about endurance for a race, you're not asking to be taken out of it. You're asking for the strength to run it. And so that yeah. promise that we have in Christ that we can endure with Him because of the strength we draw from Him, we don't have to find it in ourselves. That's that's why the gospel is so glorious something that we can ask him for, can give to us. That's what we need right now is endurance for this race, which is before us. And we know with him, we can yeah. have, we should. I'm also making a mental note. Now I hear that you're training with the boxer never to disagree with you. So uh, just take it from this point. <laughs> okay, I, I wholeheartedly adore and approve of. Well, since I was such a mama's boy who preferred dancing and singing as a kid, I'm trying to make up. That's the only reason I have tattoos is at 18, I was tired of being picked on. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. No, that's a, that, that's so important. I don't, I think though, is what you're, I think that just your, your, that central point you began with is just like, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and of love and of self-control. And uh, I find that this is, the, how is God utilizing this time actually to refine the church? If, even in my own life personally, there is things that God has really like he just, he's shown me when you're quarantined, it's a revelation of where 
where like where am lord where am i i'm not disciplined disciplining myself toward a greater intimacy with you where have i allowed culture to be more defining yeah. than the gospel uh like how well am i loving my kids yeah. and my wife now that we're spending 24 hours a day together <laughs> so yeah and, and and i think and the discipline thing is such a key point because we have that passage you know as you know which talks about you know do not despise the lord's discipline and so on and many of us i think the way we read that passage is we think man you know my dad used to discipline me and it really hurt you know well now yeah, right bigger heavenly father and he's got an even bigger stick and this is really going to hurt and that's that's what we that's what we hear but that the word used there for discipline carries with it the idea of putting you into a position so you can function in the way you are meant to function so the discipline of the athlete is if you've got a personal trainer and you think at the end of you know an hour session this guy's trying to kill me now i guess it's possible he could be trying to kill you but actually in the back of your mind you know no he's got my best interests in heart he wants me or they want me to perform in the way and to function in the way that i actually can function if i just went through this so they haven't mm -hmm. they're against you they're actually for you so when you see that then in hebrews and it talks about do not despise the lord's discipline he does it because he loves us it's not saying hey it's not like a, an abusive father saying to a kid, hey, this is going to hurt you more than it hurts me. Whack. It's saying, no, that what you're going through, I want to put you in a position so you can be the person that you were always, that you were meant to be. I want you to function in the way mm -hmm. you're intended to function. And it doesn't come easy, but it is worth it. And so I think you're right. We need to rediscover those kinds of things because it's coming out of it, the father's heart for us. He wants to put us in that place where, you know, uh, things flourish and it's going well. Um, even right. though it's difficult. Uh, so. I, I've been working, I've been working pretty tenaciously on my book um, that's called The Good Death. And it's basically like a, like a devotional memoir around the, around the seven words from the cross. Huh. And I, each, each word from the cross I speak of as a good death that Jesus is, because Jesus's word is like a two edged sword, but on one side it, it kills and on the other side it actually heals. And then he brings death to he brings death to like certain aspects of the death of innocence. Father, forgive them. It means that ignorance is not innocence, <laughs> the, which make but the the healing the healing side of that death is that it, it's the it's how we receive forgiveness. We need help. I'm, yeah. I'm broken, and 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 that man is this time has been so good at showing me the areas where like man I need to die to these illusions to this illusion of self control. Uh, to to this idea that I don't need help, like like the coronavirus has been a. I realize I'm not a man who really likes to hold still, and so this <laughs> well, a lot of us are like it's, that. <laughs> it's teaching me. I, you were you were my kindred spirit. I'm like this man can converse with greater ease than I can. I'm like this is a you're you're like the true you're you're the true. Uh, I, I I said like you you have the the gift of extroversion and still the, the, the sharpness of mind and focus to actually say things that I'm like, I just want to hear him. Just give me your thoughts on everything you see in America right now. Oh, that's really kind of, <laughs> I tell you what, you were asking about Ravi earlier too. One of the things I loved about Ravi, he loved talking to people, not just he, because he thought I could learn from anyone wherever I am. And so he liked asking questions. I remember when we were together asking you a lot of questions, but I felt I was learning a lot from you too. And uh, I, I think it's something I, I think I learned indirectly from him was it's just worth it. everywhere you go, just talking to people, asking questions and listening to what they're saying and where they're coming from. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, especially powerful. all the cultural challenges we, we have. And I know, I know we've, we've talked about that in the past as well, where you can be so mis easily misunderstood. The best way to correct that mm -hmm. is to think, what's going through your own heart and mind right now? How are you interpreting what I'm saying? Um, and it was interesting listening to um, my wife, whose father passed away a few years ago, talking with Sarah, Ravi's eldest daughter, and they were talking about how the immediate aftermath of it, you're, you're out on the street and you're walking somewhere to your car and people are walking around and it looks like life is normal to them. You almost want to say, how can you just be so normal right now doing this or doing that? Don't you know what's just happened? And the answer is, they don't know what's just happened in your life. So of course, they're not processing it that way. And I, mm -hmm. and I think on a much bigger cultural scale, that's something as a church we need to be better at. When, when people mm -hmm. are in of pain or hurt or confusion or whatever it is, they're going to interpret and receive other things done around them differently from the way they're meant and intended. And then you just have to go the yeah. extra mile just to figure out how can I, how can I speak with you, engage with you in a way so it's, it's going to be received in the way it's actually meant rather than the way that you're actually thinking it's meant. And it's hard to overcome that sometimes. You know? That's a challenge. Yeah, I think this is a time where people need to be more aware than ever. It's what Daniel Kahneman in Thinking Fast, Thinking Slow said, all you know is all there is. And, yeah. uh, they, but we are masters of jumping to conclusions and creating narratives and believing the worst about people before we even, like, I mean, I can't, in Portland, it's like, I'll forget to wear my wear a mask when I go out. And I don't like, personally, I don't like it. I don't feel like this. I'm not, I'm not, a, oh, <laughs> yeah, I can't, I, I don't, under, I played music for so many years. I can't understand people. I'm like, I realize I'm really losing hearing and that I rely deeply on reading people's lips. <laughs> but, but, uh, but I, I started thinking about that just in terms of like, like what I'm comfortable with doesn't mean it's out of like Paul's words and how do we care for the weaker the weaker brother sister like like i don't want to make people scared and it's like and even understanding when people seem uptight or tense yeah. that fear is often the motivation for anger and to it just like how do we have a gentleness and approach my wife's like how do you you get these emails about people mad about this or that thing how do you how do you manage it and i'm like i just have to remind myself of Eugene Peterson's words. If we remember that people are sinners, we won't be surprised when they sin. <laughs> that, and that, that grace is unfair. And, yeah. and as conduits of it, like I'm, my freedom in the gospel is the freedom to, to not escape the mess of life, but to, to live in it without the need to escape it. But Man, well, uh, Michael, I just want to thank you so much. I, I think actually this is exactly what I was hoping. I just think it's so good. You know, our, my people can hear from me of my perspective on how to respond right now, but I think it's really great to just hear from other voices. And I really want, as soon as the quarantine's done, you have to, I'm, I need you to commit on podcasts that you, I can get you out here to, to, to speak at Dorf. Hey, I'd, I'd love to come speak uh, for you and uh, with you over there. I really would. As a matter of fact, I... I was really blessed by my time in, uh, over in Portland. Um, uh, all the guys I got to meet and spend time with, also meeting with you. Um, and I, I don't even know if you know this story. I can't even remember if I reached you, but I had a very moving time on the Sunday. Sunday you were there in terms of some of the public response to what was shared. And I know we talked about that in this day and age, what can happen, what doesn't happen. And I... Oh, you were at, a, you were at Imago, right? You were with Rick. Yeah, that's right. And I, I, I yeah. hope the tears that all the pastors were shedding there weren't out of disappointment. But um, it was just interesting to see um, 
when an opportunity was given for an invitation to be extended uh, after I'd finished speaking, they said, would you like to do this? So just to see the response was really quite overwhelming. And I, and I think mm. we, are, we are in a, we're in a desert time and we've been hit by a wind. And that just, that mm -hmm. picks up. And, it, when, and when wind blows over a desert and it's hot, you lose visibility, things begin to sting and hurt. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it, it's, a, it's a big deal. And, and I think at that point, you're just you're hoping for either the, win, the wind to die down and maybe for some water to come. And I, I, I'm just hoping, mm -hmm. guys, too, I really hoping and praying that uh, there will be something that will bring you know, refreshment and joy at a time when it's needed the most. And praying that the church will be the vehicle through the Lord will use to, to, to see that happen. So I, uh, yeah, I, I agree. Actually, and uh, to spend some more time together. And there's so many other things we could talk about, I'm sure. But it's been good to have this yeah. conversation with you. I really appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much, Michael. And uh, yeah, we will stay in touch. And I, I commit to just praying for, for you and for the Zacharias family and for, for RZIM and tell Will hi for me. It was good. I did get I to have, I did get to go to the, to the, is it the bird and baby or? Oh yeah, I sure. Yeah. I'll yeah, tell we, and, and you should have him on this podcast because he's better looking than me. He used to be a surfer and a model. So, you know, he, he can, no, I, I know. Multiple fronts. You're, you're the only person I know that has a supermodel uh, uh, working for him. <laughs> I, know. I, know. I told my son Henry was like where how do you like what does Will look like I'm like just whatever the best looking guy in the bar is that will be him <laughs> <laughs> if he ever watches this podcast I better make sure he doesn't get big headed you know so uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, uh, yeah right on well Lason you you have a blessed day I actually have to go preach my sermon right now <laughs> hey oh well look I, I hope that goes well too it'll be great to be with yeah. you in the future it really will uh, all right hey thanks Michael have a great day okay thanks a lot great. bye all right see ya